Hello, this is Dr. Matthew Sutton, a professor of Catholic theology at St. John's University in New York City, giving you the cat's pajamas of podcasts, where I speak about the best of Christian theology, culture, and love. On this episode, on May 27th, uh, 2012. It was the Feast of Pentecost and also my birthday. I presented on the blessings of the Holy Spirit and the meaning of freedom. The goal of the presentation was thinking about the blessings of the Spirit uh, guiding us to belonging towards each other. In the presentation, I'm welcoming new members to the Fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe, which you'll hear about at the beginning. Uh, that is a lay group supporting the mission of Hearts Home. Uh, that's a secular institute uh, that serves the poorest of the poor here in New York City. If you would like to follow along, I examine three biblical passages. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So Acts 2, 1 through 13. And then Exodus 19, 1 through 25. That's Exodus chapter 19. And then Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 26, which are the readings of the Feast of Pentecost. Please listen to learn the blessings of belonging freely to a family of compassion. Can we begin? Okay, so come Holy Spirit. Hello everyone. My name is uh, Matthew Sutton. Uh, I'm a professor at St. John's University, and I've been invited to uh, speak with you in preparation for the commitment that a few members are going to make to the uh, fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe. And so first of all, I would just want to uh, highlight who they are. So uh, could those that are going to be joining the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe, could you stand up? So <clears throat> in a little bit, during the mass. And there's one more coming, yeah. Uh, oh, and then there's also Cheryl. So you can sit down. Um, in just a, f uh, just a moment um, during Mass, um, these people will be taking the uh, vow to join the, the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe. And hopefully during the Mass you'll hear a little bit about what that fraternity is. And, and so my talk is really geared towards them. Uh, you all get to just uh, listen in, if you will. And actually, you're going to have to speak, too. Could the members of the current fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe stand up? I'm already standing up. Uh, <laughs> So these are uh, also members of the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe, myself and then also my wife. Uh, there you go. Uh, okay, so um, this is the... Please sit down. Thank you so much. All right. Yeah, all right. So this is the, the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe, and it's a way to belong to Hart's home, to commit oneself to the charism of, of compassion. And for me, thinking about... Um, this time that I have to speak with you, it's this one word. Um, for the fraternity, this is our Pentecost. For the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe in the U.S., this is our Pentecost. Today is the Feast of, of Pentecost, and I couldn't think of a better way to think about how this is the Pentecost moment for this fraternity by just taking time reading and understanding what the Pentecost is in the New Testament. And so all that I'm going to do with you is read with you uh, the story of the Christian Pentecost. I'm going to do it in a canonical way, uh, which means that we're going to reference things in the book of Exodus, and we're also going to reference things in um, a letter of Paul. 
And this is participatory, even though this is a larger group, I'm used to speaking in classes that are much larger than this. And I tell my students, you don't get to be here unless you talk. So that's also the case for you. You don't get to be here unless you talk. Um, so please share your heart in whatever way the Spirit moves you or whatever way that you think all of us will really partake. Okay. So before we begin, we're going to have a song to prepare ourselves for uh, reading the words and partaking in the channels of that grace. Inspire us to read your scriptures and to meditate upon them day and night. We beg you to give us real understanding of what we need, that we in turn may put its precepts into practice. Yet we know that understanding and good intentions are worthless unless rooted in your graceful love. So we ask that the words of the scriptures may also be not just signs on a page, but channels of grace into our hearts. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. That's a prayer from Origen. Uh, so it's worked for him uh, mightily. It'll work for us. So could you uh, open up your Bibles? Uh, and this is a challenge to Acts 2. Uh, some of you have a New Testament. Some of you have the, the full thing. So Acts chapter 2. So there's the four Gospels, and then we get Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles is written by uh, Luke. So it's a two-volume set. Gospel of Luke and Acts of the Apostles belong together, even though in your Bibles they are uh, separated by the Gospel of John. So they are read together. Now, in the Mass that we're going to have, we're going to be reading a section. The first reading is going to be from Acts chapter 2. Um, so have we all found it? Mm -hmm. All good? Okay, so this Acts chapter 2 is coming in the moment when the early Christian church has experienced the resurrection of Christ 
And Acts chapter 1 is when uh, Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven to take the right hand of the Father. And then you'll get this experience of the Holy Spirit. Ooh, guess who the Holy Spirit is? The third person of the Trinity. Ooh, okay, right? The third person of the Trinity. Usually in our minds, we think about God and we think about Jesus. Often the Holy Spirit gets evaporated. (laughs) But it's the third person of the Trinity. And so in this talk that we're going to have, we're going to be focusing on who's the Holy Spirit and who's the Holy Spirit for me. All right? So Acts chapter 2 is going to be the early Christian experience of of Pentecost, of the coming down of the Holy Spirit upon them, just like the Holy Spirit had come down upon Mary in the Gospel of Luke, right? These are two volumes that belong together. Right at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, the Holy Spirit comes down and the Word is born in Mary's womb. At the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, the Holy Spirit descends upon the early church and the Word is born in their spiritual womb so that they can share with others. These two books belong together, all right? So uh, we're going to get in the reading of the Mass, just a short little section of this Holy Spirit coming down and them speaking in in tongues. We'll talk about that. But look again at the first chapter, the first chapter of Acts of the Apostles. Uh, Jesus Christ has been uh, resurrected and has been speaking with um, the Apostles for 40 days, teaching them all that they need to know and understand in in, uh, his teaching and and what's occurred in the resurrection and what they're going to do. Uh, There's one question that's on the minds of the apostles. They love that Jesus is resurrected, that he's come back to life. Good for you, Jesus, right? We thought you were dead, but hey, there's something else on our minds. Good for you, but what about us? What about us? So if you look at, excuse me, if you look at um, chapter 1, verse 6 in your Bibles, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, and this is the question on our minds, good for you, Jesus, you're resurrected, but what about us? Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So Jesus Christ is the Messiah is coming to establish the Davidic kingdom that will last forever. Jesus has been resurrected and he's alive again. And the apostles, because they're good Jews, know that the kingdom is coming, that the kingdom is about to be established. When will it be established? You've been resurrected for 40 days now and speaking with us. When will the kingdom come? That's the question on their minds. And of course, Jesus doesn't answer that question. Look what he says. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. I know we have different versions uh, of the English translation of the Bible here, but hopefully you can follow along fine. All right, so it's not for you to know. The Father knows, right? He's directing all of everything. The Father knows. It's not enough for you to know when. But what question Jesus answers is the how question. And that's what he was hoping they would ask. How is the kingdom going to be stored, right? And that shows faith. That's the question he he answers. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the question he answers. How will the kingdom be established? And it's the answer that they didn't want because it meant they had to be responsible. It meant they had to do something. Jesus has been resurrected, and he's going to heaven, and he's going to relax a little bit. (laughs) It's been a hard road, right? Now it's their turn. He's done his bit, and now it's their turn to start in Jerusalem and then go north to Samaria and south to Judea 
and then eventually to all the ends of the earth. And the whole of the story of Acts of the Apostles is that laying out where the apostles start in Jerusalem, they get rejected, they go to uh, Samaria in the north and Judea in the south, and they get rejected, and then they go to all the ends of the earth. And eventually the Gentiles will take up this faith, and so the church is born, the kingdom is being established. And so Acts of the Apostles le leads us to how the kingdom of God will be established. All right? So that's the question on their minds. How will it be established? One, they are responsible. Two, they're not responsible because the power is the Holy Spirit. Right? The power is the Holy Spirit, and that's what's going to work the establishment of the kingdom. So we have that in mind now. Chapter 1, that's what uh, that's all about. And that sets us up for Acts chapter 2. Okay, so now we have that in mind that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to establish this kingdom that lasts forever. And now we just need the Holy Spirit to come. Right? So there's this waiting. And who's waiting? Who's waiting? Right? It's important at the end of chapter 1 to realize that it's the, the 12, those who, the new 12, right? Because Judas killed himself. So we now have this new 12, Mattathias joins uh, the group. Um, so we now have this perfect Israel represented by the 12. And who else do we have? The 12 and who else is present? Mary, right? So Mary is often called the spouse of the Holy Spirit. The spouse of the Holy Spirit, right? At the beginning of Acts chapter, uh, beginning of Luke, Mary receives the Holy Spirit and conceives the Son, right? So she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. And she's at the, present at this next descent of the Holy Spirit. She's also there, okay? Witnessing to this new community receiving the Holy Spirit of so let's read that. All right. First verse, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Right? So all of the apostles, being good Jews, have come to, on pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish feast. What does it celebrate? What does Pentecost, the Jewish feast of Pentecost, celebrate? It's 50th Okay. Of what? Ooh, Jewish feast. <laughs> okay, you're right about the, the timing of it. Okay, what is it 50 days after? 50 days after Passover. Passover, right? So Passover is celebrating the Jews' exodus out of Egypt. You remember that part of the Bible, right? Okay, so Pentecost comes. It's part a harvest festival, right? Celebrating the fruits of the land that have now been harvested, right? But it's also celebrating something else. Right? Do you remember what happens to the Jews after they uh, escape out of the oppression of uh, the pharaohs of Egypt? Where are they taken to? Where are they taken to? Mount Sinai. Yeah, Mount Sinai. And there they receive on Mount Sinai the law. There they receive, uh, well, Moses first receives it. Right? Moses goes up the mountain, receives the Ten Commandments, receives the law, and brings it down to the people. Uh, and the covenant of Moses is established. The covenant that seals the deal between Israel and their God who has rescued them. So the Jewish Feast of Pentecost is celebrating that. Okay, That's why they've all gathered at Jerusalem to celebrate the establishing of the Jewish people with the reception of the law that comes from God. Okay? Uh, because the, I think there's a, a little gap here of knowledge. Let's dive into that, okay? Let's dive into that moment, and, and that will help us process what's going on in Acts chapter 2. So let's go to the Jewish Pentecost. Some of you have a New Testament, some of you don't. Uh, excuse me. Some of you have an Old Testament, some of you don't. Um, all right. If you go to the book of Exodus, and if you go to 16, okay, so the first books of the Bible are Genesis, Exodus, 
right? So it's the second book of the Old Testament, Exodus. And what we're interested in is chapter 19. So Exodus chapter 19. Okay, the book of Exodus, I'll fill in while you're searching for it. Second book of the Bible, 19. What's been happening to the Jews in the book of Exodus? In the book of Exodus, that, that might be a difficult word for us. It, in English, we use the word exit, right? The book of exit. Another or better word for it would be freedom, the book of freedom, of the story of Israel being taken out of oppression and slavery to freedom, to being established uh, as God's special possession. All right? So, in fact, the whole book is about what's not freedom and what's true freedom, what's not freedom and what's true freedom, right? Usually in America, when we hear the word freedom, we hear it uh, in two words, freedom. Because that, usually that's how we understand freedom. I get to be dumb. I'm autonomous, and I get to do whatever I want. And usually that means doing dumb things, right? I'm in college. I get to do, I'm free from my parents. And so I'm going to do dumb things like debauchery and sleeping around and everything, right? So that's usually how we think about the word freedom. I get to be dumb. But the book of Exodus is teaching Israel what true freedom means. And it means free to be under God's law. Domine in Latin is Lord. Right? So you're free to be under the Lord. That's what freedom means. That's what the whole of the book of Exodus is trying to teach Israel. You're free to be under the Lord, to worship him, to follow him. In fact, the beginning of the book of Exodus has three experiments in in, uh, freedom. Okay, if you know the story of the book of Exodus, Israel is entrapped in oppression of the pharaohs who've made them slaves. And right at the beginning, Pharaoh is concerned about the Jews uh, having too many kids. And we have a nice kid uh, crying, which is beautiful. I love, I love kids. I'm, I'm doing my part. <laughs> okay, but Pharaoh was concerned about really an immigration problem. Too many Jews, too many Hispanics, right? Too many, too many people, right? They're going to take over. Uh, And so he instructs the midwives to start killing some kids. And so the first experiment with freedom is the midwives, is the midwives who passively resist against this law that Pharaoh has done. That's the first experiment with freedom. Maybe the Jews can be free in this oppressive society by just being passively resistant, right? Hearing a law and not following it, but in secret, lying to try to cover it up. Well, the Hebrew women are so strong, they go out into the forest and give birth. Right? That's what the midwives say. That's why they can't kill any of the kids. They go in secret. Passive resistance is one way to be free, but it's not God's way to be free. It's not God's way to be free, to passively resist. And so whenever relationships or sins you might be dealing with, passive resistance isn't what God wants. Passive resistance isn't what God wants in your battle for sin, in your battle for your relationships. The second possible freedom is conflict, is outright aggression. This comes in the story of Moses. You know this story. Uh, Moses has uh, been raised in Pharaoh's court, right? God is caring for him because he has a special plan for him. Uh, So uh, Moses has been raised in Pharaoh's court, right? He's been raised um, in Egyptian ways. But also somehow he knows his identity is Hebrew. And he sees a a Pharaoh soldier beating up on a Hebrew. What does he do? Kills him, him, thank you. All right, kills him. So this is another way to be free. Aggression. 
This is another way to be free, outright conflict, aggression, right? And so Moses says, well, the Hebrew people could be free if we fight. And this isn't what God wants. Moses can't stay in Egypt to fight for Israel's freedom. He has to get out right away. So this is one way that freedom is not really free. That is aggression, fighting against sin, right? Fighting against sin with your willpower, fighting against uh, injustice with your willpower. Because that's not yet freedom, okay? The third possible uh, freedom is freedom, uh, creating a free space within otherwise oppressive society. And this comes in the story of Moses has gone to Mount Sinai. Well, first of all, he, had a, he got married and had a couple kids and lived a good life for a little bit, but God didn't leave him there. Right? That was his own understanding of why he's not yet free, because his people aren't yet free. So God calls Moses at Mount Sinai through the burning bush and says, you think you're free now. I'm going to introduce a new freedom to you, a new freedom that involves all of my people. And so he sends Moses to talk to Pharaoh to let his people go. And the first uh, claim that Moses makes to Pharaoh is not complete removal of the Hebrews from under the oppression of the Egyptians. The first thing that he asked for is three days. Moses says to Pharaoh, just give us three days to go out into the wilderness to worship, and then we'll come back and be slaves again. What does Pharaoh do? No. In fact, he increases their burden. It makes them produce even more, right? Even more... Uh, even more building blocks, so even more uh, oppression, even more slavery. So the book of Exodus, as far as the book of freedom, rejects this kind of freedom, creating a free space with an otherwise oppressive society, worshiping God for three days out of the year and not every day out of the year. So the book of Exodus it rejects different uh, areas of freedom that aren't yet enough. And I think for me, the spiritual import of it is that whenever I'm dealing with sin, which is every day, uh, by the way, <laughs> we're all broken, right? We're all Christian and we're all broken and we're, we're not yet sanctified completely. And we're all dealing with sin. And we pretend that we're not, but we all are dealing with tremendous sin. Tremendous sin. We're not yet sanctified completely. And so, there, I've dispersed that false claim, right? We're all sinners here. And therefore, we all need Christ. We all need the Holy Spirit. So, Israel was brought to this point where they hadn't yet learned true freedom. It's not about passive aggressiveness. It's not about outright aggressiveness. It's not about just creating free space with an otherwise oppressive society, right? Three days of freedom. It's about all freedom. And so Moses, right, through God's power, and that's the plagues, right, and all that good stuff, and that's great pyrotechnics. I won't lead you through all of that, right? That's fun, though, right? All that's being proven there is that God, Yahweh, has power over the Egyptian gods. The Egyptians worship the Nile. What does God do to it? Makes it bleed red. The Egyptians worship the sun, God, Ra. What, is, what does Yahweh do? Makes it cloudy. Extinguishes the sun, God, Ra. What does uh, God do to, Yahweh do to Pharaoh and uh, the cult of Pharaoh? He kills the firstborn son. Right? He destroys the cult of the Egyptian gods to show to the Hebrews these gods are nothing. I'm the true God. So he leads Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, Pentecost, the first Pentecost. And that's what I want us to deal with in chapter 19 of Exodus. Sorry, 
Hopefully you didn't mind that little interlude, right? But we're better for it, okay? 19, Moses is, and the Israelites are being taught freedom. And look what it says. On the third moon after the sons of Israel had gone forth out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from uh, Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, same mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord uh, called to him out of the mountain, saying, uh, I should just prefigure this, okay, just in 18 um, and following, what we have is this a glorious cloud that has come upon the mountain. Israel was led out of Egypt, right, on a specific path to Mount Sinai. Moses thought he knew the way, but it's this glorious cloud that led them. And this is in Hebrew called the Shekinah cloud, Shekinah cloud. And I do quiz my students on spelling that correctly. The Shekinah cloud is the dwelling glory cloud of God's potent presence in the world, right? The Israelites believe God is everywhere. Israelites believe God is everywhere. But God can create a potent presence within the world. And the Israelites have different symbols for God being potently present. And one of them was this glorious cloud that's fire by night and cloud by day. And it's this pillar of cloud that has led the Israelites to Mount Sinai. It's this pillar of cloud that has descended upon Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up into it to receive the law, to receive the word. It's this glorious cloud that's going to come upon the apostles in tongues of fire, that's going to form the Christian people into who they're going to be. The Shekinah cloud is the Old Testament image for the Holy Spirit. Okay, The Shekinah glory cloud, God's potent presence in the world, is the Holy Spirit present right, in images to the Israelites. And we don't get the full flowering of Revelation of the Trinity until we come to Jesus Christ. But the vestiges are there, and the Shekinah glory cloud is there. So the cloud has come upon Mount Sinai. Moses is going up it, and he will receive a special word. And this special word is the covenant. It's a three-part covenant. So the Lord called to him, Moses, out of the mountain. This is verse 3. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. One of the other images of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is the wings of an eagle, the wings of a bird, right? And so this Hebrew word for a, a, a bird that is hovering is also the word overshadowing, right? When a bird is hovering over its nest, about to land on the nest, it hovers for a moment, right? And this Hebrew word is used at two precise times, right at the beginning of the creation of the world, where the Spirit of God hovers over the chaotic waters and creates new life, right? New existence out of nothing, right? Everything is created, and it's the Holy Spirit hovering over. And there's also another time when uh, the Israelites are being taught how God loves them. God loves them like a mother bird hovering over its nest about to feed its, its children. And this is also going to occur in imagery in the New Testament when they talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this hovering presence over us, showing us God's love, providing food, sustenance. All right, so I bore you on eagle's wings, on the Holy Spirit, and brought you to myself. All right, now therefore, and this is the covenant, and this is what they are required to do, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant. 
So the first thing the Israelites have to do to realize true freedom is to obey. Usually in America, those two words don't belong together, right? Freedom and obey, they don't belong together. Thank you, 60s. Okay? <laughs> right? But in the Bible, and that's the way that we're supposed to live our lives, not according to the 60s, but according to the Bible, right? We're supposed to understand freedom and obedience go together, right? So Israelites have been brought out of oppression to now freely serve Domine, the Lord. So if you obey my voice, right, they follow the Ten Commandments, they follow God's law, they follow the principles that God has imbued in creation to make everything in right ordered relationship with him and with each other and with that creation. So if you obey God's voice, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, that's the first part of the covenant. Number two is what God is going to do. You shall be my special, uh, my own possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So you have this great statement in, uh, sorry, verse 5, that Israel is owned specially by God. All the earth is mine. Everything is mine, God says to them. The whole earth is mine, but Israel is my special possession, right? So if the house burns, your house burns, your apartment is burning, what are you going to rescue? That's your special possession, right? So if the world is burning, and it is, right? If the world is burning, what's God going to rescue? He's going to rescue his special possession. Who's his special possession? What's that photograph that you want that you can't live without and you don't want consumed in that fire? What's that special letter that you received that is your special possession? What is it that <clears throat> you won't give up in a burning fire? Israel is that special possession. If they obey his voice, as the world goes up in flames, God is going to rescue this people. And so that's the second part of the covenant of Moses. The third part of the covenant of Moses, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, sorry, let me continue. Uh, I'll reread re um, uh, five here. Now, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, that's what they have to do. Then you shall be my own possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the third part of the covenant of Moses. You'll be to me not just my special possession, but a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You as a people will be a kingdom. And not just any kingdom, right? So you'll have autonomy. Uh, you won't be under the oppression of the Egyptians. You won't be under the oppression of the Greeks. You won't be under the oppression of everybody else who will end up overtaking Israel, right? You will, you will be a kingdom, right? So you'll be autonomous. And the kind of autonomy you will have is a priestly autonomy. The kind of autonomy you'll have will be, all of you will be priests. All of you will be mediators. That's what it means to be a priest, right? In many ways, that's what it means to be a priest, is a mediator between God and humanity and humanity and God. So when God wants to speak to his people, he speaks to a priest first in order to speak to his people. When the people want to speak to God, who do, who do the people speak to? They speak to a priest. The priest is the mediator between God and humanity and humanity and God. So think about this. Israel all is priestly. They will be a kingdom of priests. They will be humanity's words to God and God's words to humanity. So through Israel, Israel will be this conduit of speech between God and humanity and humanity to God. They will live out the oppression, excuse me, the, the difficulties and the sufferings that humanity is experiencing and plead to God for them. 
And God, in answering this plea of suffering, will speak through Israel to humanity. So this people will be a kingdom of priests. And they'll also be a holy nation. That means they'll be set apart. They'll do things differently. That's what holiness means in the Old Testament. Set apart for God. Set apart for God. The Egyptians work seven days. Israel works six. Right? They do things differently. Right? They have a loose confederation of tribes. Everybody else around them is a kingdom. Israel will get jealous and will ask for their own king. But that's not really according to God's plans because God is supposed to be king. And so we have Saul, David, Solomon, all our difficult kings. Right? In the, in the Old Testament, Israel is supposed to be a holy nation, a nation set apart, doing things God's ways rather than earthly ways. So this is the covenant of Moses. This is what's celebrated on the Feast of Pentecost by the Jews in Jerusalem uh, after Jesus has been ascended. But something different happens this time. This Mount Sinai experience of Israel forms Israel into a nation with its own law and also a special relationship with God. A special relationship, a mediator relationship between God and humanity and humanity and God. So let's go to the Christian Pentecost. Okay, let's go back to Acts 2, if we could. Let's go back to Acts 2. So now you know why the apostles are in Jerusalem and what they're celebrating. They're celebrating and remembering the founding of Israel. Something different happens this time, though. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Check on the time. So it's 11.45. We have 15, 20 minutes, and then uh, we'll get ready for Mass. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So this is the Shekinah glory cloud that descended upon Mount Sinai and is now descending upon them. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. Distributing, distributing and resting on each one of them. Right? Luke is very clear about how this Holy Spirit is being dispersed. It's not upon the whole community. It is that but it's also on each individual. And this is the great Christian insight that we are gathered together, but we are also individually touched. We all belong together, but we've all been individually touched. In fact, the reason we all belong together is we've been individually touched by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has come down upon Israel first, and now is coming upon the new church. And many people understand that this is the birth of the new church. But look at what this new Israel is given. Look at what this new Israel is given. It's not just the law. It's not just this idea that there'll be a special possession, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. There's something else that's given to them. So, uh, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, filled interiorly with the Spirit that they had been created. You remember, you've all, all been created, right? And the second story of Adam and Eve, the second story of the creation of the human person, what is a human person made of? Right? There's the first creation, the six days, and, and then the seventh day of rest. And then there's the second chapter of Genesis, which gives to us another story focusing on the creation of the human person. How is the human person created in that second story? Out of mud? What's, what does God do to it? Breeze and a... Right? Breeze his spirit. Right? In Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. It means breath. Right? It means wind. 
It means God's power. Right? In many ways, in the Old Testament, power is another way to speak about the Holy Spirit. And so the Jews and the early Christians used the word power to understand the Holy Spirit. So it's no mistake that Jesus Christ himself refers to the Holy Spirit as, as power in the first chapter. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit, not human power, but divine power. And what's divine power? It's not uh, transformer power, right? It's not incredible Hulk power. It's a different kind of power. And I'll, I'll talk to you about what that kind of power, or how I understand that kind of power in a little bit. All right, so they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is glossolalia uh, in Greek. And it's a difficult thing to understand what's going on in the speaking of tongues. Uh, the story starts to describe it, and we'll read it. I'll, I'll read it together, and you'll read it with me, and I'll try to summarize it uh, as best I can. So they start to speak in tongues, and they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So every nation, all the Jews from all over the place have come to Jerusalem for this feast. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one heard them speak in his own language. So here we're starting to get an understanding of what this speaking in tongues, what this new power the Holy Spirit has given to the church is. Everybody from every nation that has come to Jerusalem is able to hear what these apostles are speaking in their own tongue. They're able to understand it. Because Jews had been dispersed throughout every nation and didn't know Aramaic and certainly probably didn't know Hebrew unless they were really educated. They spoke Greek. They spoke uh, forms of Latin. They spoke all the different languages of, of Persia. They spoke every other language except for Aramaic and Hebrew. But they came to Jerusalem right, because they wanted to be there with the other Jews. Maybe some of them would know a little bit of Aramaic. right? But there's no common tongue for uh, these Jews who are now in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. Except these apostles have received the common tongue that they're able to speak and everybody's able to understand. So uh, I like Luke because he lays it on thick. right? So it's not enough just to tell you everybody under heaven is there. He names everybody. All right? And not all of these were speaking Galileans. right? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? We are Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya. He's laying it on thick, isn't he? Parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Uh, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. Okay, so he lays it on thick. Everybody from every specific place has come to Jerusalem. Right, has come to Jerusalem and they are hearing and understanding this new word that's being spoken by the apostles. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked and said they are filled with new wine. So at the birth of the church, it looks like a drunk party. Think about that the next time you go to Mass. Does this look like a drunk party? <laughs> the way somebody walking by that didn't know what was going on understand that there have been some people there that might have drunk too much wine, right? But interiorly, that's how we should be. Maybe outwardly, we shouldn't be, oh, hey, Jesus, JC, right? But <clears throat> here you have this witness of what it means to experience God's power, being overtaken. And um, 
if you've ever met a drunk person, they've been overtaken, <laughs> right? But by different spirits. This church has been overtaken by the spirit, right? The spirit has overtaken them, and all were amazed. So what Peter goes on, and that's the next verse, is 14. He'll describe what's happened. This was supposed to happen in the last days, the prophet Joel said. And we are all Jews, and we know the prophet Joel. We all know that the Spirit was supposed to, God's power was supposed to come upon Israel and found them into a new people, filled and participating in the new covenant. We all know that prophecy, and that's what's happened here. That's what's happened here, Peter says to them. And you all participated in the death of Jesus Christ, and so all are in some sense guilty, and so receive forgiveness, receive the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter is saying. Receive the Holy Spirit. So just like you envy us for this this spirit experience we're having, you can now participate in it. All right? Uh, that's what Peter's sermon is all about. And so I'm not going to give you the details of it. I just want to have you think about what happens because of Peter's speech. If you look at uh, what he has them do, this is now verse 37. But when they heard this, they were cut to the heart that we ignored God's sign that he given to us in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And we're cut to the heart that we ignore that. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Adelphi, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. So he echoes Jesus Christ's message. Repent and believe, and then you'll participate in this new kingdom that's founded by the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testifies with many other words and exhorting them, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and they were added that day, and this number is no mistake, 3,000. This number is no mistake. The whole of the Christian Pentecost that you're reading in Acts chapter 2 is imitating uh, Exodus 19, the Jewish Pentecost. Every little image is an, uh, an interpretation of what happened in that original Pentecost scene. So just like the Holy Spirit or the God shaking a cloud has come upon the mountain and Israel has received God's law, so the apostles have received this Holy Spirit coming down upon them and they are now this new kingdom. Okay, So all that imagery is the same. right? And it's no mistake that they go to the upper room there on the mountaintop. Right in this room. Every little instance here is trying to give to the Christians an interpretation of something new based upon something that's old. Okay, and that number 3,000 is no mistake. This seals the deal for me. Uh, Moses, when he received the law, he comes down the mountain. What does he see the Israelites doing? Golden calf, right? Right? Does it golden calf produce golden milk? Mm, yummy. So they're all worshiping an Egyptian god saying, Oh, Apis, you've delivered us out of Egypt. Oh, Apis. They, the Israelites have restored the Egyptian worship of this god, and they've claimed that this is the true god. right? And so Moses sees them worshiping the Egyptian god. And what does he do to them? Oh, this, I love Moses. He gets angry. Holy anger. right? He takes the covenant tablets, throws it down on them. In fact, at one point, he'll grind them up and feed it to them like you would feed soap to your child who, you know, swore, right? It's like, this is going to clean your mouth out, right? You've disobeyed God, and this covenant, this law will clean your mouth out. You've worshipped Apis, and it was Yahweh who delivered you, 
right? And then he'll make a charge, Moses will, that, okay, you're either on my side or on, on the wrong side. Who's going to join me? And the, the tribe of the Levites joins uh, thanks, thanks to Aaron, right? Aaron uh, will join Moses' side. The Levites will join Moses' side and will lead a slaughter through the Israelite camp of those that worship the Apis God. And how many died that day? How many died in that slaughter? Yeah, good, you got it. Okay, 3,000 died that day in that slaughter, right? Every little instance in Luke's recount of the new Pentecost is, is interpreting what happened in the old Pentecost. So the old Pentecost, you had death. In the new Pentecost, you have life. How many people are brought into the church? 3,000. Right? No little thing is missing in Scripture. Everything there is communicating God's word. Everything, somehow, some way, is communicating God's love. Okay? Uh, so let's get back to the tongues, because that's important and what I want to leave us with. Okay? So many people think about what's going on in the tongues, is, uh, and there's, there's Pentecostals uh, today imitate this. So many people think that it's, it's somehow this heavenly language. So somebody will hear and understand right, what that means because they understand that heavenly tongue. And that becomes the part of the, the practice of the early church. And Paul has to try to um, get the Corinthian church to understand what the gift of tongues means and doesn't mean. Right? And um, the way that tongues is practiced today in the Pentecostal church is like that. Speaking in heavenly tongues, somebody will be able to interpret it and say, God is speaking to us that we need to be still. We need to listen to him. Or there's somebody here that needs this word repentance, right? So might be the way that the gifts of tongues was in its origin. Some random words, right, that are of heaven, that somebody there will then be able to understand. And that's one of the uh, most common ways to interpret this gift of tongues. The apostles started to speak this heavenly language and everybody else could understand. That's one way to interpret it. But you know what I think... Uh, the gift of tongues is, I think it has to do with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about is in Galatians 5. Okay, so Galatians 5. Could you turn um, to that? So <clears throat> the next section of the New Testament uh, is Paul's letters, Romans, Corinthians, and then Galatians. So look for Romans, look for Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then you'll come to Galatians. He's speaking to the church of Galatia. And if you turn, please, to chapter 5. They're dealing with uh, some strife, and what church isn't? Um, and Paul is instructing them on their real <coughs> life of the church in the Holy Spirit. The real life of church in the Holy Spirit. If you look in chapter 5, and then you go up to 16, we're supposed to remain in the spirit, he says. We're supposed to follow the whole law, love your neighbor. Okay, 16. So chapter 5, 6, we're all there? Galatians 5, 16. Um, but I say to you, walk by the spirit. So he's saying to this church, walk by the spirit. This is how you're going to live. This is how strife is going to be overcome. If you live in God's power, right, you'll have true freedom. You'll be under God's dominion. Uh, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay? For, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul loves this distinction of the human person between flesh, mud, and spirit, God's breath. It comes out of um, Genesis uh, chapter 2, the creation of Adam. 
right? Mud and then God's power blown into him. What's mud is muddy, dirty dirt, right? What's of God is spirit. And so that's how he distinguishes the human. There's this, the fleshy part that does sin and death. And he doesn't mean the physical flesh. He doesn't mean the physical flesh. He means those parts of us that want uh, debauchery, those parts of us that want everything that's sinful and ruining of the human life. And he names that, good old Paul, he lays it on thick. Um, so he tells us what the desires of the flesh are, and then he'll tell us what the desires of, of the spirit are. So for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you have led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are plain. So he'll name to us what it means to be fleshy, what it means to not live according to the spirit, not to walk in the spirit. And see if you recognize anything in your life in this list. It's not a comprehensive list because, oh, there are so many ways to sin. Uh, but it is guiding us. So fornication or immorality, impurity, licentiousness, in idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit I have, or uh, joining in others uh, to belittle others, party spirit, groupthink, you could say, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. So these are gifts of the spirit of the devil. These are gifts of the spirit of the flesh. These are the gifts of what's so wrong about being human. And all of them fruit suffering. All of them fruit death. All of them fruit something that's not of God. So take a little moment and think, have I been touched by anything? Have I been convicted by any of, of these fleshy things in my life? I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Entrance to the kingdom of God comes through the Spirit. How will you restore the kingdom? The Spirit comes upon you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to suggest to you that these are the tongues that the apostles received. This is why everybody from every nation under heaven could recognize that God was at work because every other nation recognizes these things and it's not dependent on language. Everybody, everybody who's human recognizes love. Everybody who's human recognizes joy. That's how they were able to understand that something of God has occurred here. Right? And we want to believe. Love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Each of these is the tongues or the gift of the Holy Spirit. Each of these, if you experience today any of these, patience with another, joy in another, love from another, you've experienced God's power. You've experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit, either in your life or witness to you. Maybe it was through words, maybe it wasn't through words. This morning, uh, because thankfully somehow I've lived 35 years, it's my birthday today, my little daughter came up to me and said, happy birthday, and gave me this huge hug. There was the Holy Spirit, right? There was the Holy Spirit. Anybody you go and hug and give love to, there's the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to suggest to you, and I've got to wrap it up because um, Jesus is going to come here in a little bit. Um, I'm going to suggest to you that this fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe is the place where we experience the Holy Spirit in a new way. 
and a special fruit of the Holy Spirit that you experience in the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe is, wait for it, compassion. Compassion is, <laughs> compassion is the charism of the Holy Spirit. It's no mistake that in the, uh, here, I'll, I'll pull it up for you. Uh, here it is. Okay. Um, in this little instruction, it's, and I love Hearts Home. They're, they're so, they're so simple. Okay. So in the little instruction of what it means to join um, the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe, it says the charism of living in the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe is the charism of compassion. So anytime you are compassionate, anytime you've been compassion, experienced compassion, you've experienced the Holy Spirit. So the uh, instructions of the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe says that... Um, that compassion is a charism. A charism is a grace of the Holy Spirit, this little instruction says, is a response to a specific need in the church today. For Hearts Home, this grace is compassion. So that's what you're joining into in the fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe, is living in this new gift of the Holy Spirit that's going to be given to you in a special way if you obey his voice. Right? You'll make a yes in this commitment. You'll say, I'll, I'll obey your voice. And what, you'll, what will happen to you is you'll be made a special possession, a kingdom of priests having a mediator role of compassion, and you'll also be a holy nation. You'll do things differently than everybody else who's not compassionate. That's what it means to join the fraternity, to commit yourself three years to living in this community of prayer that prays together daily through the rosary, through Mary, who's spouse of the Holy Spirit, because we want to live in the Holy Spirit that gives to us compassion. If there's anybody that is uh, compassionate, that isn't God, it's Mary. <laughs> All right? So Mary understands what it means to be compassionate. Mary understands what it means to suffer with. And so by joining the fraternity, you're going to be experiencing that and committing yourself to that. Easy, because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's true freedom. Freedom from other attachments to be free for others. And that's why many of you who are, uh, or a few of you who are volunteers in Hearts Home, what you've done is you've created a little temporary freedom, a little exodus out of your old life and your old relationships, right? Those of you who have volunteered, you've experienced a little freedom from others, right? In order for you to be free for others, in your time as being a volunteer, you made commitments that have impacted you for the rest of your life, and you're now attached to them. And in some sense, you're, you're obeying those relationships that you've created because you're committed to them. You've created a little space in your lives to be free from others to be free for others, right? And that's what it means in Hearts Home to take a time away, to take a time for others, to be compassionate. And this, this temporary commitment of the fraternity is taking time from the normal ways of doing things to be for or compassionate towards others, to suffer with them in whatever apostle or whatever area we have. Right, so we have a few moments that we could take a few questions or we could just dwell uh, here um, are there some questions or something that touched you? Or something that you read in, in scripture that you'd like to talk about? Okay. So let's take a moment to get ready for Mass. Take a moment of something that we encountered in this in this time where I talk too much, I'm sorry. Um Take something in this in this moments in these next times to prepare ourselves for mass in which we'll receive the Holy Spirit along with the Son. Amen. <laughs>
Amen. So thank you. Thanks for listening to me, Dr. Matthew Sutton. Please subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Sutton, D-O-C-T-O-R-S-U-T-T-O-N. I'm also on Instagram at Samurai Moses. My website is drsutton.net. So much good is there. Cheers and make something beautiful for God.